welcome to Rushcast. My name's Jay Mantis. Thank you very much for being here. We're happy to have you here listening to our show. If you're a Rush, a geeky Rush nerd, then you're definitely in the right spot. Uh, my, like I said, my name's Jay Mantis, and I am sick as a dog today. So I might sound a little froggier than usual, and I apologize. I also might be grumpier than usual. I've been saying to my loved ones, imagine if the Indians lost last night, how grumpy I would be in that situation. But the Indians have let yet to lose in this postseason, so it's kind of counteracting all the grumpiness that I have. Another reason to not be grumpy is that we're talking about Russian Rio today, a, an album that got me into the band I think got one of our guests into the band. Another one of our guests was there. Not in Rio, I don't think, but at a show. I could be wrong about that. And we'll find out in a second here. But a big, fat live album that I, uh, in a lot of categories, I hold to be number one on, in the live albums. Um, so let, let's get into it. I want to welcome Mick Wyland. How you doing, Mick? Doing well, thanks. And yes, I was at that show. He was Rio. at Rio, so this is going to be a blast. <laughs> I had, I, I think I remember that from when you might remember Mick from the live or the trivia series we did earlier this summer, and so now he's on a full episode. We're happy to have him here, and I remember him mentioning he had been at the actual Rio show. So very juicy stuff. I'm excited to talk about that. Uh, and also let help me welcome Alec Pulianis back to the show. You'll remember Alec when he filled in for me a few times earlier this summer and ran Rushcast, and he's been on shows other than that as well. Some other episodes. How you doing, Alec? Doing well. And I didn't realize that uh, Mick was at that show. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I'd forgotten as well. So uh, <laughs> That's, I mean, we right. gotta start with Mick, right? <laughs> That's uh. A rare yeah, thing. And I think I've got a couple other listeners who claim to have been at that show as well. So if they're listening, I haven't forgotten about you. Uh, Mick, like, what? what's like one or two of the biggest takeaways from being at that show? Was it as, was it as uh, unique of a show as everybody says it was who was involved with Russian Rio? Uh, yes. It, what I call it was, was an event. I mean, you go to a concert and there's, Lots of people around and all that stuff, but for Rio, it was just, I mean, streets blocked everywhere, just people going all over the place. Um, I would equate it to, like, if you've ever been to a, an NFL game or a major college football game with people tailgating and hanging out around that, that's what it was like getting into the show and then leaving the show. Um, I guess you can't really see it from this, from the actual video footage, but... I think because of the size of the stadium, even though it's fifty thousand people, and they, a good chunk of them were crammed there in the in the uh, down there in front of the stage, but the stands were relatively empty. Um, I wouldn't say one hundred percent, but there was plenty of seating all the way around. Uh, especially, I, I was sitting kind of. I, I sat in the back. That and, was that uh, was going to be my next question. Like many people around me. Like where did you sit? It it seems like from the video there wasn't any assigned seating. It was just wherever you could fit your body, you were allowed to stand. Right. They had um, when I was buying the ticket, I had the uh, guy at the hotel give me the ticket. You could have either gotten a floor a floor ticket, which is where the people on the stage were, and those were actually a little bit cheaper. Or you could get uh, seating. It wasn't assigned seating; it was just open seating. But it was actually a ticket for these the chairs where you could sit down. And uh, I didn't want to get down and 
into the madness. Um, so I had picked the I had picked the actual seating. Um, so that's how it was. Like I said, it was open seating. Uh, wherever you went and sat down, that's where that's where you went. Wow. Is um. Well, I, I think I remember you were you live or you're from the southern United States, one of those southern states, right? Yes, I'm living in Savannah. We just uh, had this hurricane brushed by us. Um, luckily, our house wasn't damaged. We only we lost power for a couple of days, but there's some people a lot worse off. So. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. Well, uh, so what were you doing in Rio in 2002? Um. Well, actually, I worked for an airline, and at the time, and some friends and I had already made a plan to go to Rio right around that time. And I didn't even know they were going there until when I was leaving the Atlanta show. I saw somebody that had a concert T-shirt on and I had a list of show dates, and I saw Rio on there. And I just kind of my ears pricked up because um, I'd already seen them several times, and I'd planned to see them one more time. And I knew that it had to be if it was Rio, it would have to be probably somewhere in the region where we were when we were going to be down there so i i went and checked and i can't remember if it was right then or if it, it was a couple weeks later when it was actually the information actually popped up as it turns out the uh, show was going to be like the last night that we the night we had planned to leave so all i had to do was stay an extra night there uh, uh there in rio uh, by myself and uh, which I did. I mean, like they're working for an airline. I didn't have tickets that we bought. We flew standby, so it worked out great. It's crazy that, uh, like, I wrote down uh, riot. <laughs> like, it looks like a, one of those soccer riots you see in in places that aren't the U.S. You know, like I mean, I'm right. sure we would do the same if soccer were big here or football, as they say. But um. That's what it looks like. It, everyone's a little bit more happy than those riots, but it's it's people like shoulder to shoulder and jumping up and down, and uh, unlike anything we've ever seen. I watched Rio last night with some people that had never seen a Rush concert, and they were looking at it saying, is this always what it's like? And we were like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> That's not how it goes. Uh Alec, no. I don't think you were a fan in 2002. You didn't get a chance to see this tour, right? No, I was not a fan. Um, this is the album, though. This is the first exposure I really had to Rush. Um, and that's this is how I got into them, was Rush and Rio. Yeah, same. Now, when I, I uh, came upstate to my parents' place for the weekend, it's Dad Mantis' birthday, and... We put in Russian Rio, and I so I'm looking through all my DVDs, the Rush DVDs, and they're like taller cases than a CD case, and I don't see Rio. I see R30. I see everything but Rio, and I said to Dad, I'm like, I'm looking for Rio, and I think I remember. Didn't we have like a bootleg or something? Somebody made us a copy, and that, so uh, he goes, Yeah. So we start looking, and it's in a CD case. We found it, and. Uh, it is like somebody printed out, printed out the album cover and the track listing on the back, and it's the same. I held it and I'm like, I looked at my dad and I said, "This is it. This is like the holy grail." And we open it up and it says Russian Rio and Sharpie on the C on the DVD, and it's like this was the physical copy that this was the beginning. You know, this is the reason we're Rush fans is this DVD that's been buried under a bunch of garbage for more than 10 years now uh 
So that it felt good to kind of like finally find it. But uh, I think something about Rio lends itself to getting people into the band. I think it's because it's so good. I think the playing is so good um, that it's it's more likely to jumpstart people into being a Rush fan. Now, there's one huge takeaway for me, you guys, when it comes to Rio. When I think of Rio, I think of one thing. I don't. The first thing I think of is not the crowd. It's not the crowd noise. It's not the singing along. It's not the return of Neil. It's one thing. And maybe it's a little bit selfish. But it's the bass tone. It's the first thing I think of. <laughs> it is unlike anything we've ever heard. Now, he kept it through R30. He kept it through Snakes and Arrows. And then it altered itself a bit after that. But nothing really compares to the way it was mixed on Russian Rio. I'll send it to our resident bassist, Alec Pulianis. And um, did it get any better than Rio for you? So, okay. I really should have listened to R30 because I was, when I was listening, I listened to Rio like a thousand times this week. And it was just, I couldn't remember how filthy it was. Like, it is, it is the most, like, it is the peak absolutely of his uh, his twanginess and um, I, I, at some portions of this of the songs it's like this is almost a little too much because I remember the one time we were talking like sometimes you don't want that <laughs> that sound and yeah for example song, in bravado like the very first verse <laughs> exactly. he says if we burn our wings <laughs> and he's like the only one playing virtually the only person playing Neil's doing a little tick 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 and no guitar and it's in your face it's completely unburied yeah it's it's absolutely filthy (laughs) and um yeah it it the bass tone i mean for me it's like that is the the stars right for a bass tone and whenever i play like i want to hear something that sounds like that but maybe not quite as completely over the top right <laughs> well you know i don't think i have the chops to pull it off <laughs> but don't you think like you and i don't play in bands that are as heavy as rush you know like right like i'm not playing yyz every night i'm, I'm playing like pop tunes if i'm playing in a band or, or whatever or funk or and like no one wants to hear that stuff in a a different setting but anyway the rio i think is i think it fits rio i think it fits the energy and the, I mean, the same goes yeah. with Vapor Trails. Is Vapor Trails is really kind of the 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 beginning, the birth of that sound. Even though he had it a few albums prior, it really came, it really matured on Vapor Trails. So obviously, it fits all the Vapor Trails tunes on Rio really nicely. But we get to hear it on things like Closer to the Heart or Free Will or um, YYZ or the past you know even if it might not be, it might not work on some of those tracks. It's there, and you can't deny it. Mm-hmm. Now let me say, I think the song that benefits the most from that super gnarly bass sound. And Mick, I'm gonna ask you, what track do you think is best benefited from that sound? Um, I think, in terms of getting, uh, in terms of being an improvement, "Driven" is number one because we talked about how dry that track was on the record. Uh, we got a little better on different stages, and here it is, in, like. It's just a complete monster on Rio. And I might say, uh, leave that thing alone as well. I mean, this new bass tone makes the original recording of that track, which wasn't very bad. It was actually pretty good. It makes it seem awful. It's because it's so raw on this live album. What about for you, Mick? Yeah, um, like, like I said, love the bass. I mean, that was one of the notes I had on Driven, particularly 
when he uh, when he just went off um, on his little what I call improv. It was just incredible. Yeah, incredible sound, incredible. Just watching him play, and um, just seeing the joy with which he played. Um, you could tell throughout the whole show, even up to the end, he was just having fun, just really feeding into the crowd and uh, and seeing them feedback on his sound uh, was what I was getting from it. Yeah, Alec, do you have any notes on Driven? Well, I remember the first time I heard Driven, that wasn't the Rio version. I was like, what is this crap? What yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, one thing I do remember is the the, one, the guitar player in my band, um, He uh, he's my cousin, so I've known him for a very long time. And when I first got into Rio, I had... Uh, the, the video of it on my iPod, you know, like that little tiny screen. And I was like, dude, check this out. And like, I fast forward to driven and I was like, this guy's amazing. <laughs> and, um, and showed him the solo. And he's like, that's so cool, man. <laughs> you know? And this is like, us. I don't know. Um, late, late high school, uh, or no, no, like early high school, I guess for me, um, just like geeking out about, uh, driven and, and Rio in general. I think uh, Leave That Thing Alone would probably be the high point of the record. Like, when people... I have a a YouTube channel discussing Getty Lee's bass tone with a few videos, and people always talk... They're like, oh, where can I hear an example of that tone? Or often it's people like, you're wrong. Nope, you're wrong. Uh, His bass tone doesn't sound like that. And I just... I calmly reply, and I'm like, hey, man, you should look up... Russian Rio, leave that thing alone and tell me his bass tone doesn't sound nasty as hell. You know, these are people who are like, that sounds awful. No one would want a bass to sound like that in a band. Like, oh, you're so, so wrong. <laughs> Go listen to that specific recording of leave that thing alone. Um, because it's, again, unburied in a sense. It's right out there in the front playing the melody. Uh, what? Yeah. What else can we go to? Let's go to Let's go to New World Man. The 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 third track here. And I, I mean that and the track before just an early warning. Just an early warning is uh what did I write here? The highest energy ever. I don't think you'll ever find a better recording of this track. It's so raw. It's so ruthless. And New World Man uh it, it noteworthy that Alex is playing a telly. He plays a telly a lot on this album, um, but it's the last time we're likely ever going to hear this huge radio hit, and it's 2002. I mean, this album is almost 15 years old. It's old, and uh, I don't think when Rush is said and done, I don't think we'll have heard it since this album. It's the last time they pull it out of the vault. What do you think, Mick? Uh, that's quite possibly true. Um I noticed um, one of my notes was yeah, the first three songs they went back to the vault. I mean, obviously starting with Tom Sawyer, then throwing in just an early warning, a new world man to kind of feed the crowd. Um, I guess most Rush fans, the older stuff they listen to longer, so they have more appreciation for the older for it. Um, you could just see that the crowd was just feeding off of it. Um, and I'm like I said, this is going back to the the golden age of the '80s, is what I would call it. Back back when I first became a fan. Yeah, I don't think you can argue with that. How about you, Alec? Go ahead, Alec. And yeah, so 
it's funny. Uh, I was just thinking, I sometimes start off the album with this in early warning, just because I've heard Tom Sawyer so many times, like you said before, yeah. with uh, starting albums on the second tune. And I love this song. Like This could definitely be the opener as well, because it has so much energy. And, um, and actually, when I was listening to it, I texted my drummer being like, Today we need to make sure we like listen to this an early warning. That's a good inspiration. That's a great song. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, um, and and I just love the way the mix of the keyboards and how like they just you know chant that uh that that melody. Um, and it just always brings you back to that. And I think Getty singing in that song is just really energized. Um, and New World Man's an enjoyable song. I think those two songs back to back I always enjoyed in the set list. Um, that been. A- nice treat if i was into the band um, yeah at that time i agree especially being um, two and three so early in the set list and just something about those two tracks i would love to hear in any rush show i don't know if i'd ever get sick of those and i've heard just an early warning of fair a good amount um and it, they're, it's always great but new world man is again i'm gonna say this a lot this episode benefits so heavily from that that gnarly bass sound it's so different than what we'd heard on the record. And it reminds me a lot of what they did in Snakes and Arrows Live, where they had Digital Man and Entree New. I feel like that's a really similar kind of one, two, uh, or two, three punch. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I mean, and um, what was it's, Clockwork? It's a, it's a great way to start. Clockwork started uh, with Big see. Money. No. Um, oh, no, man. It was I, Big Money second. I used the to know these Big lists. Money and then uh crap grand designs the last one was it grand designs was it maybe it was something like force that 10. force 10 yes it was big money and force 10 then grand designs was fourth grand designs i i, I like shit my pants because yeah. like, <laughs> i didn't know the set list it was the second show of the tour but and i, I lost it these, these second <laughs> these set lists are very predictable mick like we we know especially from this point on and from rio and everything that came after we get like we're saying that two three slot is always like a, a couple of vault tunes they always have the second set the first part of the second set filled with the new material in this example we have one little victory ghost riders secret touch uh in the second set but also we kind of get a little teaser a little appetizer of the new material usually around five or six which is Earthshine in this case i think with snakes and arrows it was the larger bowl i think they played in the first set and then that was it uh i could be wrong yeah, about that they played something but uh far cry all right that's a, that was the second set yep so just a larger bowl mick what's oh, like monkey business what's a a song on this album that you think is placed really nicely um i guess i like the uh the placements that they always have for the uh the start of the sets and the end of the set they always start and end with songs that that begin there like I mean, starting off with Tom Sawyer, it just hits it right out the gate, and then closing with Natural Science, that's just a perfect yeah. close to the set. It's, it's got high energy, um, it's familiar, it just gets the crowd going, and then um, they use up so much energy, they gotta, and they got to rest. And then starting the set with one little victory, just bang, it hits you right, smack in the face, and then closing with Spirit of Radio. Um, like I said, it, Spirit of Radio could actually open or close a set, but um, I mean, here it just it just ends well. Yeah, and really close to yeah, having La Via uh, closing the set. Just by one track, we missed it. Uh, go ahead, Alec. I, I have to agree with Natural Science. I, I love that song. And 
I remember one time I was thinking to myself, what is that Rush song? Like This is like early on in my, my Rush listening days. Like, what's that Rush song where it um, – I just remember Neil hitting the uh, bell of the ride cymbal, um, you know, on the offbeats as like – it was like really heavy. And it was Natural Science. And like, I was like, that's such a rocking song. And it's a great way to end a set. Um, I also love La Villa Strangiato um, on this record. I like the way they open it um, with like a little bass riff at the beginning. Uh, and how it kind of fades in. Yeah. Um, and I just really enjoy that after uh, the big ending that it is Limelight. And um, I actually really like Bytor too. The way that they're like, now time the dog's out. And they just like jump right into that song. Yeah. I think that's, a, that's also a really good placement. For me, and remember, I'm a just like you, I was a brand new fan. So these weren't, I didn't know these songs yet. This was my intro. Uh La Via, people talk about the, mo- the guitar solo in the middle of La Via, right? Um, where Alex mm-hmm. just goes for a little bit. And he starts super quiet with kind of like a clean sound. And then there's that moment where he kicks it into overdrive, right? And mm-hmm. for me, that moment has never been better than it has on this record, on this recording. It is. It never got more intense... That was such a goosebump moment for me when I first listened to this album was when he kicks it into into like fifth gear uh, in that solo. And there's something but he had that jet black Paul Reed Smith guitar with all like 24 frets on it. Uh, something about that guitar and the sound of the, like those Hughes and Kettner amps was a little saucier on this album, similar to Getty's side of things. And that moment... On this record, I should say this record is the reason I understand why people love that moment, uh, and this is the this is the recording I go to if I want to hear that moment, uh, like I am like I know it, like I remember it. Now the rant is cool, but there's there's times when I'm like I just want to hear the song, like I don't want to have to go through this. Like it's, it's cool like the first three times you hear it, and then you know what's coming, and it's not as funny anymore. You feel me? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it's a cool moment to have like on tape. I'm glad it exists like that. Um, I, and I think one thing I really do enjoy, I guess one of the reasons I enjoy the rant as well, is because after all that like mellow playing, the explosion of sound as they go back into it is so epic. And um, when they played it on future tours without the rant, like that's that part's still like an explosion of sound, but it's not quite as uh, the contrast isn't there. Sure. Now, Mick, could you understand what he was saying, what Alex was saying through the mic <laughs> at the show? I'm trying to remember, um, like, actual details. I'm pretty sure I could. Um, the sound was good all the way all the way in the back. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure at the time if I recognized about the, what, he, what he said about Ipanema, but then, obviously, when Getty starts to, to play the, uh, the licks, um, you know what's going on, um, but then like just echo what Alex said. Um, yeah, that explosion of sound. I just I just like how the, when they're done, Neil starts the drum going, and then um, all of a sudden they just they just catch it right, catch the beat, and then bam, it's it's right back at it to uh, to get it right to get it going. Now what I was gonna I was mentioning how uh, it was I didn't know any of these tracks. I remember Bytor being the last song that I knew. Like it, it took me a long time to get to Fly by Night, and 
I remember both my dad and I, because we were, you know, we were purchasing the albums together and, and experiencing the studio records at the same time. Uh, we were still like, I don't know where By Tour is, what album it's on. I got it. We need to find that. And it was such a, it's a hard song to digest compared to everything else on this album. You know, everything else is kind of uh, a little more friendly to a new listener, maybe with the exception of La Via and Twenty One Twelve. Um, they're you know they're shorter tracks they're they're more predictable forms and then with Bytor it's like what is going on right it's a little it's too proggy to be to to be honest it's a little too prog and I guess I'll throw natural science in there natural science is kind of hard to digest as well but um, still a great recording with that I think supremely benefited from the raw sounds from Russian Rio. And you know, I would argue Lime or uh, Limelight. Uh Fly by Night as an album is one of the rawest sounds we get to hear of any studio album. So it's kind of fitting, you know what I mean, Alec? Yeah, you're definitely right about that. I think it was a great fit for the set list and um I really enjoy the video that they have playing as well. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh Mick, what's what do you think is the best uh, not the best, but what's your favorite uh, Vapor Trail song that was performed on this album? Um, I guess at the time it was One Little Victory. Uh-huh. Just, um, like I said, it started the album, but it was the first one. I think it was actually released, so I'd heard it before the album came out. And um, just starting the second set with it, it was always really good. But in going back and looking at it, um, Secret Touch just kind of, hammers out and um i guess i was noting how it uh it shared a little something with i think it was natural science what i call controlled frenzy when they're just they're playing so hard and so fast yet under control and it just it's it's almost what a, like a wall of sound is hitting you but it's it's not out of control but it's just there and it's hard to believe how three guys can just <laughs> do that much on stage yeah, now let's. Uh, I, mean, I gotta ask the same thing to Alec, right? What's your favorite um, Vapor Trails song? Yeah, so initially I was gonna say Earthshine, but when uh, Mick started talking about Secret Touch, I was like, how could I forget Secret Touch? Um, that song, I think if I had to pick any song um, from Vapor Trails to play in like a band setting, I think it'd be just so much fun. Um, just because you said it's like that controlled chaos the whole way through and it's just heavy playing and um, full throttle. Um, and I remember actually i i had a, a project in school where i had to like talk about myself and this was like at peak rush um so i had a, like a snippet of um the breakdown of secret touch and it was like i really into this band <laughs> and i think that let, the snippet went on a little longer than it probably should have because i was just like this is awesome everything should be in there <laughs> it's probably like a 30 40 second snippet of just the band and i was like you know it's supposed to be like a three minute thing about me and and 40 seconds of just the rush playing <laughs> but i feel yeah. you for me the the album vapor trails took forever to grow on me and now it's grown up to the top five albums for me but uh, at the time i didn't like Earthshine. i did not like ghost rider and especially when i finally got vapor trails i was learning that people really liked ghost rider and i thought oh it's such a weak song and and again i've, I've mentioned this before as a young boy <laughs> All Jay wanted was hard-hitting Rush. I wanted Secret Touch. I wanted Natural Science. I wanted Big Money. 
I wanted YYZ, Distant Early Warning. I wanted the heavy stuff, the high energy stuff. And it took me a long time to really to understand that the low energy stuff was still high energy. It just wasn't as loud. And Ghost Rider is an excellent example of that. It, it, there's so much nuance. It's my favorite word to use when talking about Ghost Rider. There is so much nuance happening with all three guys in the band through that track. And that's what I was missing. But at the time, I remember skipping Ghost Rider a lot. I remember skipping Earthshine. Um, I thought Earthshine was... a. You might be thinking, well, Earthshine's heavy. That one's high energy. It is, but it's... It was a fuzz. I didn't really like guitar fuzz at the time. Uh, I didn't really understand what was happening happening metrically like with time signatures in that song. I didn't feel like trying to figure it out. I just didn't like it. Uh, I've flip-flopped on both of those things. I think they're both amazing. So it's fun for me to revisit this album because I watch Earthshine now as like, oh, this is an amazing track. I can't wait to hear what it sounds like live. Uh same with Ghost Rider. And, you know, I think part of it was since I had obtained R30 probably a year after I got into the band. And Earthshine was on that as well. I was like, oh, really? We got to hear this again? Right? But it just shows you that I've said this before as well. Mick, uh, tell me if you agree with this. The, the song that they bring back on the next tour from the last album, it's usually a sign that they like that song, right? Yeah, um, I think every song that they bring back um, are songs they like. They, I mean, they, the ones that they have to play, the Tom Sawyers and such, They, uh, I think they like them, but they still don't. I mean, even if they're getting old, they might not want to play them, but they know they have to. Yeah. But any song that they bring back a second time is obviously going to be one they like because they have such a huge catalog to, to choose from. They're not going to pick something that is uh, even they're tepid about they they're only going to play things that they really want to want to hear and play and actually mean something to them um like i said i'm not as huge a fan of uh ghost rider and Earthshine as you are uh, i appreciate them on the album um in the live setting it's not quite as um there for me i would agree uh, with that know, i would totally agree if you said that those studio recordings are better musically than the live versions now, I didn't know Ghost Rider meant so much for Neil. Um, I guess that was based on the, the book he wrote after his uh, his tragedy and all right. that, and and how he how he worked through it. And in in the images of the of the Ghost Rider motorcycle that, that flashed on the screen, you could kind of see him from the from a video. But when you're when you when you're at the show, I mean, it's right there and it, it comes back. And and those are really cool, just seeing the the lone motorcycle on on the highway with nothing around and nobody sitting on it. And just going from shot to shot to shot, I mean, however many they took, um, that was that was a pretty cool effect to see to see at the show. What do you think, Alec? Um, I I almost said Ghost Rider as well <laughs> for the the question about our favorite song from Vapor Trails, because I really do appreciate the nuance as well, and also it. I can't even imagine how difficult it was for Neil to play that song night uh, every night. And uh, at the end of the song, if you notice, he like breaks his drumsticks and uh, pulls out a new pair, which I think is a, an interesting. Uh, I don't know if he did that on every uh, every time they played that song or what. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> that'd be interesting. Yeah, if he it did. was. Uh, yeah, and um, yeah, I mean it's it's a very emotional song. I mean, it definitely it gets me uh, in the heartstrings and. Um, 
it's it's interesting that they chose to play that live, um, particularly if it was really difficult on Neil. But um, it, it is. I think it's a really great song, and um, even though you lose some of the nuance that it's it's based on because of the live setting, um, I think it, it was still kind of powerful. To, I really like the way that Getty sings it. Uh, he he really puts himself into it. Um, and the live version and you know, and it's also interesting this whole album is interesting from a vapor trails perspective because it's the first time hearing it sort of stripped down not as many layers and um yeah and and it and it's like our first glimpse of what the album would sound like if it was mixed well uh, until we <laughs> actually got the good mix <laughs> yeah. um even though the only thing I, I don't know if you ever noticed this with the um dvd recording the vocals are actually pretty low in the mix uh if you listen to the dvd um it could have been the vocals could have been boosted a little bit. Sometimes it's hard to hear Getty. You know, I think you're uh, you're on to something when you say, you know, okay, let's look at the band now. They say, we're not playing anything from Vapor Trails. It's too emotional. Well, we already called them on their bluff, and we proved that wrong. They came out with how it is, right? Uh, that's a different thing than playing Ghost Rider, however. So you say, well, it's kind of weird that they played, like, arguably the most emotional part of that record live on this I, I think part of it was like, all right, we. I feel like they needed to play it. I feel like they needed to push. They needed to kind of like power through in a sense. And I know it sounds yeah. sort of insensitive, but um, I think they they kind of the same reason that they toured this album was like, yeah, we want to we want to play these emotional songs live. But I would I, I think if you said, hey Jay, what's one song they will never ever ever play again? It would probably be Ghost Rider. I think they pulled it out for one for this tour and they were like, all right, that's all we need. Right? It wasn't it wasn't on our 30, I don't think. No. no. I, I I don't think they would ever play it again. That that I would agree. That if I had to put money on any song, that'd be that song. Yeah. Uh I lost my Oh, so I wanted to talk about well, uh, quickly, I want to m- mention that uh, we kind of flip-flopped. Alex has always used a lot of guitars live, and he still does, but it's very interesting on this tour. A lot of Telecasters, um, the Paul Reed Smiths he had been using for years, and he, he had a, a nice assortment of them. But on Roll the Bones, we get this beautiful um, red Gibson SG with the hardtail. and uh, or I don't know if they're called hardtails. I used to know what those long bridges were called with the tailpiece. Um, but a beautiful bright red guitar. He had a bright red Paul Reed Smith at one point. Just a different time in the world of Alex guitars on this record. And then conversely, Getty plays that number one jazz bass only for 90% of the show. And now if we look at how it escalated from Snakes and Arrows into, or not Snakes, maybe uh, like Time Machine, Clockwork, and then R40. And by the time he gets R40, Getty's got a different bass on every song. You know, it's in a way they kind of flip flopped on that end. You know what I'm talking about, Mick? Uh, a little bit. I'm not as much uh, paying attention to the the nuts and bolts of what they're playing. Um, I, obviously, I noticed when on certain tours when Alex would break out the 12 string. Yeah. Um, aside from that, and I think uh, usually I've noticed. Uh, I think live he would uh, end Working Man. I don't know if it's on this one or not. He would always end with uh, something nice and white. Um, aside from that, um, I'm, I'm more of a, like I said, a novice when it when it comes to the actual hardware that they're using. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of I think a lot of people would agree that they're on your side on that uh, with this. What about you, Alec? Um, so one thing I'll point out about Alex is um, this is my first exposure to the Whammy Bar. 
<laughs> this this like live video i never knew that was a thing on guitars yeah and watching uh alex play you know uh with all that expression using the whammy bar was interesting um and i also i really love this paul reed smiths that's like canonical for me that's the canonical um alex guitar which i know is ridiculous to say but um i mean he used them on him almost playing. every album from 1989 to 2002 those those were the guitars he was using I know, I know. I don't know. I guess now, like, he's like all into the Gibsons, but <laughs> I love Paul Reed Smith. If I ever, it, when I buy a guitar, because I, I hope to have like a full band set up one day in a music room, uh, it's going to be a Paul Reed Smith. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just absolutely beautiful. I love I love the inlays of the, the birds and also being from Maryland and how convenient they're built, you know, right down oh, the street. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, if you guys are listening yeah, and you so, don't know what a Paul Reed Smith guitar looks like, and you know, Alex didn't really play them he played that like blue flamed maple top one on this and the bright red one was cool but at the prs guitars alex played weren't the best looking a lot of them were jet black and didn't have those inlays but if you don't know what those guitars look like you need to do a google search because like a standard paul reed smith that wasn't made for alex lifeson is gorgeous <clears throat> they're absolutely amazing yeah their paint jobs are beautiful and the inlays are beautiful. And, um, yeah, I could actually go down to the factory in about 30 minutes from my house and, uh, and have them custom make one. And I think, I don't know, I don't know how much that costs, but <laughs> it, it might be a pipe dream goal. Um, and then the interesting part, like you said about Getty is that he plays that number one, literally the whole time, except for when they down to exactly. uh, 21, 12, right? Yep. And, um, and driven was down as well. They had a different one on driven. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Um, that's a beautiful bass too. Uh, yeah, but the, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, and again, actually having seen that, this is my, this is the first time I ever watched a live album, um, of anybody to a certain like extent. I had seen like Creed play live once. Um, I don't know. I, I think I didn't see that many shows, maybe like Leonard Skinner beforehand. So I wasn't very familiar with gear at the time. So like, this was kind of like my opening, um, experience of seeing what, what kind of gear professionals use and like what their habits are uh, of switching out guitars between songs and like the whole point of that. And at that point you realized the key to good guitar tone was Mr. Potato head. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And, uh, and dry machines. <laughs> yeah. Drying machines. And the three stooges. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I guess one thing I noticed was the, uh, the arms on potato head. The first set he had his arms kind of outraised almost like a conductor. And then uh, the second set they had changed his, uh, I'm thinking it was almost, I mean, almost kind of sacrilegious. He had his one arm sticking out almost in like the, the Hal Hitler kind of. Oh, yeah. Post, I didn't notice I mean, that they just, had changed just it. Watch that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess one thing about the dryers, which they didn't do in that show, if I recall correctly, they, <clears throat> at the, uh, when they came out from the encore, they would, uh, get in the dryers and toss the t toss t shirts into the crowd. Um, and like I said, I even wrote down maybe they didn't do it in Rio like earlier you said it was almost like a riot out there if they had tossed a bunch of t-shirts into the crowd who knows what might have happened <laughs> yeah you know but, I um, think I saw one a guy had had, had when I, the last show I saw on the stage was in Manchester and um, a guy sitting next to me had on, had on a t-shirt like I got this t-shirt out of dryer number two on the Vapor Trails tour or something like that it's, so, uh, so, it, so it's something that only a few people out there do have. Yeah, and I, I did see one floating around a concert I was at once. Uh, and I had never seen that shirt. I didn't know it existed. 
But I think all of us who had been introduced to the band at this time with this album wondered at one point, why are the dryers on stage? <laughs> you know, and in fact, the people I watched it with last night were like, are those dryers? And then you got to go through the whole explanation. But it was always such a, like, my dad and I did not know for a very long time. <laughs> we just assume we're just like, that's what they do. I guess they just have dryers on stage. And if I remember correctly, they were there for R30 as well with the addition of like a vending machine or something. And uh, yeah. so by that time, we're like, yeah, I guess that's just what they do. It's some inside joke that we're, we'll have to figure out at some point. Uh, and then, of course, we learned eventually. But that was kind of a fun little trick to, to work around when we were getting into the band. I wanted to mention, because it's my favorite thing to talk about... Uh, the pass on this album is a very interesting recording because in terms of guitar tone and bass tone, they're essentially polar opposite of what they are in the studio recording. We, I mean, think about how dry the pass is from the, on the bass end of it and the guitar end. We, know how, we knew how dry the guitar was on Presto and Roll of Bones to begin with, uh, but think of the intro. Ba-na like it's it's a very warm and uh polite sound out of the bass on presto and here we are on rio and it's punching you in the face i'm sure alec knows what i'm talking about right oh yeah it definitely it definitely has a lot more pop and and like i said when i listen to the studio versions of a lot of these songs after you know the whole uh getting through rio um it was definitely one of the ones that kind of lacked energy. And now I can appreciate um, songs when they're a little bit more mellow. But at that time, it was like, now nah, i got to have Rio. That's the only version. Uh, I have a point to make on a couple points on Bravado. And then I'm going to send it to Mick. And I'm, Mick, I want you to uh, start us off on a new song, whichever you have, you know, if you have something to say on another song. Um, on Bravado, we get, number one, it's played on Rio. Yeah, I told you the best recording of it, hands down, was on different stages, the last tour. And I imagine they played it on the Roll the Bones tour, its own tour. That's three three tours in a row. I don't think that happens very often for songs that aren't radio hits. And I think I think maybe like One Little Victory had that happen where it got played three tours in a row. Uh, maybe there's been some like third tier songs like that that have had that luxury but i think it's very noteworthy that that song got played uh so consistently the other thing is is very evident on this specific recording of bravado it ends on a sus chord i'm gonna get really theory ish here heavily into music theory for a second uh if you play guitar you might know what a sus chord is it's a very like well, it stands for suspension. It's a suspended kind of sound. Sus chords want to resolve down to where it feels like you can end the song. We, we very rarely in Western music end on sus chords, and that's what Rush does here on Bravado. They end on a sus chord. It's the weirdest sound. It's I don't think there's another example of the band doing this anywhere. If I find it, I'll let you know, but it's a it's such a rarity to end on a sus chord and the band hits that last note and the lights start to go down but you still hear the bass synthesizers playing out there's the bass the bass pedals and then the actual synthesizers the actual synthesizers are playing those sus qualities 
in that chord. If you know what I'm talking about, you're like, oh yeah. And if you don't, you're like, I, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but if it just, just think of it next time you listen, if you don't know the theory, try to listen to that last chord and realize that it's not really what your ear wants to hear as the last chord of a song. And maybe you'll get what I'm talking about. All right, I'm going to throw it to Mick. Mick, what are we talking about next? Um, it's, we can go and uh, talk about how the crowd there obviously has seen Rush concerts in the past. And those, like, for songs where there's audience participation, I would call it, like uh, Spirit of Radio and they raise the lights and... Uh, uh, Twenty-one, twelve, and they when when everybody chanced back. I mean, the crowd was on it, just there. I mean, you you just look out. They show the crowd shot of probably twenty, thirty thousand people out there right in front of the stage, and they're all going in unison. I mean, it was it was just incredible to see such a huge group of people who had never been to a Rush concert before. Well, maybe some of them had gone to the other shows in Brazil, but um, just to see that number of people who who knew what was going on and um, and just we're just into the show and then participating and just having fun was just uh, it's just an incredible fight. Yeah, I wanted to say like we'd be uh, we'd be not be doing the album the service if we didn't talk about um, YYZ and singing along to that and uh, the Haze in twenty one twelve because I don't know but did they ever do the the Hay in twenty one twelve before that or was that where it all caught? Oh, on? great question. No, it it. it, it, it it's been uh, that, like I said, that's that's what I was talking about. Like the crowd cues, um, it, it, mm. for rush shows, that that would be the one thing. They would, when Getty throws his hands out there, everybody chants back, "Hey!" Um, and for them to actually know that was, was was kind of my point there. And like you said, the the singing along with with YYZ. I mean, who else would be singing along to an instrumental? <laughs> I think I'm with Alec on this because he was also introduced at this point. Um, I've always, at every concert I've been to since for Rush, I've always been thinking in my head, oh, I'm going to do that thing that they did in Rio. I'm going to do the thing those Brazilians did, right? Where, like, I'm going to sing along here or I'm going to do the haze or whatever. And now I know that those were happening prior to Rio. But in my head, and I think this is, like, a big chunk of fans at these concerts, we're thinking about Rio. If you're a big enough fan, you've seen Rio and you've seen how those fans reacted. I think all of us have part of a little tiny part of us that's like, oh, we got to be that good, right? We got to be that, we got to be that crowd, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely get what you're saying. Um, another, uh, here's a, I want to talk about, I think, Neil's single, like, I just wrote Neil goes ham. <laughs> like Neil goes absolutely bonkers in one section of one of these songs on Rio. And that's the last verse of the big money, man. He goes insane. I, it's very refreshing to see him kind of amp the energy up as if it weren't high enough already, uh, for the rest of Neil's playing. But, um, I'm trying to remember the, the words in that verse. Anyway, yeah, I mean, you know what the last verse is. You can you can go listen to it. Uh, it's it's vis- he's visibly uh, busier than the other verses than the other recordings. Um, interesting. I don't know. Is that was there a moment for? I'll ask Mick. Is there a moment on this album where you think the drumming was superior? Ah, uh, several occasions. I just think. Um, I know. 
the start of, of one little victory when he just catches in there and he's just all over the place. Obviously, the, uh, the solo was there. And then I think I was leading, I'm checking through my notes here, with some other place where he... Uh, well, we'll throw it, throw it to Alec while you're looking. on it. But, um, yeah, I, I would know. Notice... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh. Uh, you, you have your notes now. You can go. That's fine. Um, I noticed um, a couple times when he would switch from his rock grip that I guess he started with to the traditional grip that he uh, learned, I guess, on studying under Freddie Gruber and uh-huh. was kind of instrumental during um, what's the uh, Test for Echo that... Uh, he, he used on all the songs on that and he would even use this traditional grip on a couple of songs earlier songs that he wouldn't have used that grip on before it was just kind of interesting seeing him do that and then I, I was always curious um, I guess a few times they would show him toss his, his stick up but they always cut away before he caught it so I was wondering <laughs> did they do that on purpose did he actually catch it i mean it looks, it looks like he would but they never showed him actually catching it that's interesting the toss, but not the, not, the, not the completion have we ever seen him drop a stick i'm sure it's happened is there like a, t- a oh, recording yeah. you can point yeah. to no um i i have i'm pretty sure i've seen it i've seen it sometime in the past i just yeah. don't know where i'm with you yeah i don't know if I don't know if it was on any official ones, but I definitely see it in person and not catch it. <laughs> uh, there was one time he he threw one up and he just bailed on it. Okay, that <laughs> he's like that one. one's that's a lost cause. <laughs> it's gone. Yep. Uh, Alec, help me out here. Doe, a deer, a female deer. Thank you. I, you had me worried. <laughs> I thought I thought maybe you were gonna leave me hanging. Um, nah. Is uh, I wrote down the trees last time ever? Question mark. Did they play it on snakes or something? Wasn't it played after this? Yeah, they brought it back. The second leg of snakes. Okay. So maybe not. You know, I don't think snakes is. We can't look at a song on snakes and arrows live. Be like, well, it's the last time they ever played it. Well, yeah, it's like one of the last tours, right? Uh, free. I wrote free will. High notes. He sang those high notes really nicely on free will. And we're talking about a very young Getty in 2002. He's able to do that, right? Yeah, he did a great job on uh, on Free Will. And um, I, I and just go back to the drumming portion. Uh, I really do like this. This is like again my first drum solo from Neil, but um, it, it definitely is one of my favorites. Although I think my absolute favorite is uh, is the Snakes and Arrows one. I really like uh, some of the sounds he used on the electric kit and the and the nice way the he had those like um, chords underneath his drumming. Yeah. But this is also a fantastic um, bass solo or uh, drum solo rather. This uh, this reminds me of. It, it just feels like the beginning of the last era of of live albums. And obviously here we go in a, we literally go into high not literally but we go into high gear here. <laughs> with live albums every tour mm-hmm. after this uh gets a live album and it's in this format this is the beginning you know finally we get a live album that can fit every track in the same order it's so close to what it was like to be there i assume mick <laughs> you would know the best um but it, it there's no interruptions it feels like you're there this is the format we that we get to get used to uh the crowd sweeps of the people on the floor with the cameras the I wrote down all this stuff like it's well lit like compared to the last few 
albums that we got to watch like a show of hands it's so well lit it doesn't look like a dark stage it's very it's very bright you can see every little detail i wrote in all caps clear steady camera work right the cameras aren't like moving around a ton it's like you're there you're floating up by the stage and you're or you're on the stage and you're there watching the show uh, my dad noted the crowd noise is there it's loud but you could still hear the music it somehow doesn't i know people will disagree with this but it doesn't really interfere it doesn't get in the way as much as we've heard in the past uh so this is the standard i think i you could say russian rio is the standard for the rest of the live albums in their career and they've only you know we've they've tweaked and tweaked and gotten better as we've moved on i mean our 40 looks amazing clockwork looked incredible but this is the one that started it all mick was it was it just like being there when you watched this for the first time yeah yeah i, I remember i remember waiting and when the waiting for the dvd i know i had ordered it and uh it was coming in that day and i'm i'd gone out for lunch came back and just sat, sat on the couch and watched it and it was just uh, it brought back all the memories and um, I think like you said this is a standard I think um, probably technology finally caught up to, to what they could do I mean <laughs> I don't know that DVDs were as prevalent leading up to I mean most of the earlier things were probably shot on VHS which I mean that's just um, a crappy medium for uh, recording something on well now everything's digital they can like you said get just the right amount of crowd noise and kind of tweak it up and down um cameras are better better shooting in low light um i guess more improvements on steady cam so that it's not shaky and all that kind of stuff just everything is finally caught it's finally caught up to the show and been able to accurately convey to everybody else away from the show just what a rush concert is like i mean there's, there's nothing like being at a rush concert it just the sound of the boys are able to put out and just how the crowd reacts off of that um it's just it's just incredible you're up alec i think he said it best man i think it's really well said i mean this is um this is definitely the format they use from here on out it's really cool i think the um different stages was kind of a prelude to um what we got five years later with um Russian Rio and um I really enjoy like I don't know what you're doing next week for R30 because like there's the cut up version and then the full version they release later um and I'm really glad they never did that again after R30 um I understand the set list was very similar and that's why they did that but it, it, it's best just to keep it as is have that flow um and just keep like that record of what the tour was like yeah, man, I, I just think it's, I can't say enough good things about this album. Now, did did you tell me, Alec, that K, the, the band K, is it K-Rush or Crush? Uh, Crush. Did you tell me that Crush has dryers on stage with them? Occasionally they do. I've never seen it in person, but I've seen the photos That's... of uh, the rig. Man, if you've ever played in a band and had to lug like a huge bass amp around, it is such a pain and to have dryers to move around as well for the sake of being authentic to the band that you're covering that's impressive i did i had i just realized that that's that's 
a feat to say the least. Um, yeah, they're uh, there's something there's something else. Guys, I uh, I want to thank you for coming on and doing Russian Rio with me. Uh, this is uh, very it's like kind of emotional. I'm an, an emotional album for me, and I imagine Alec because it was our introduction and i'm sure it's emotional for mick being there i mean i can't imagine being at any recording if i had been in cleveland for time machine that would have been a big deal uh but for rio that's impressive uh and uh i i'm happy to have you guys on the show and you did a great job and i'm sure we'll talk down the road my pleasure it was great talking to you mick and, and hearing all your experiences from being at the show so i appreciate you sharing that with us like I said, no problem. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, it was so cool. Yeah, I imagine Mick has probably be, probably been like, man, I got stories. I got stories about <laughs> that show, but no one wants to hear about them. Well, you're gonna have plenty of people to listen to your to your uh, your end of the story this week for sure. Uh, thank you guys, yeah. and uh, thank you, you other guys, <laughs> for listening to the show. We're going to be back next week, as always, with the next album. I think you know that's our 30. So we'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you.